Welcome to Conversations in GGR. This is your program where the focus is on cleaning up the greenhouse gas mess that has been building since the Industrial Revolution began. We are going to discuss solutions to climate change. There is CDR, of course, but what about the more inclusive term, GGR, that includes all greenhouse gas removal? Let's have conversations in GGR. Hello, today we have Susan Dorward, an amazing person who has a, an incredible ability to soak up the facts of this issue, as well as um, understanding what can be done about it. So I'd like to welcome on the podcast, Susan Dorward. Go ahead, Susan. Hi, thanks, Terry. It's a pleasure to be here. Would you mind starting off telling people about uh what you know, because you've studied a lot academically. Let's start off with your academics. I've been studying carbon management, I guess. It wasn't even CDR. I wasn't called that when I first started. Back in 2017, um, I started taking classes at Columbia after being motivated to do something about climate change. You know, I watched the uh, uh, inconvenient truth and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, this is like, how can I not work on this? I had heard about Klaus Lackner at Columbia and he was one of the early proponents of direct air capture. And uh, it turns out I was able to take some classes at Columbia without even being in an official program and then took um, some more classes for their low carbon technologies certificate and then ultimately they just launched a couple of years ago their masters of, of uh, carbon management program so i'm in that now but that's sort of focused on carbon capture utilization and storage and then it's sort of interdisciplinary um, i've taken climate law and geographic information systems i'm going to take machine learning and life cycle analysis so it's really kind of this interdisciplinary program, but the core of it is carbon capture utilization and storage. And, um, you know, I was really focused on direct air capture. That's so that's taking CO2 out of the air and then doing something with it. Uh, initially, people were more focused on storage, I think, but now there's more of, you know, how can you make money out of having this CO2? turned into something that's not so much my focus i'm really focused on let's store that co2 let's draw it down and you know try to fix some of the problem that we've created and there are lots of ways to do that um one of the ways that i'm really interested in is mineralization so that i'm a super fan yeah (laughs) and there are lots of ways to do that (laughs) It turns out like you can inject it underground and it can turn into rock in a basalt or olivine formation. Um, so that's something that I was studying this past semester with Professor Kellerman, who's really great expert in that area. You can do it like there are some startups doing that. So Vesta is you taking olivine sand and putting it on beaches or, or in the in the near shore waters to have it capture co2 and there's companies like ion that are doing this on farm fields and heirloom is using um i assume it's olivine 
ground olivine to capture CO2 out of the air and kind of cycle cycle that and, and get the CO, you know, heat the CO2 off and capture that. So lots, you know, there's lots of folks working on that. Um, there's David Goldberg at Columbia is looking at storing in basalt formations. Professor Kellerman is looking at, you know, he's working with Heirloom and also 4401 out in Oman with their olivine geological formation. So that's like, that's the area that I'm really excited about. There seems to be a lot going on in that area, but there's so, I mean, as you probably have seen with, with uh, all of the webinars from open air and air miners, there's so many different CDR pathways. So glad you brought up open air. You know, Thank you so much. Yeah, it's just, there's so, so many different approaches and you know, you can try to find, you know, what's going to have the biggest impact, but I, I think it's going to be, you know, just a lot of different solutions, everyone doing what they can. And so if people are interested in getting involved, you know, find what resonates with you and um, make sure they have good scientists behind their approach. But, you know, there's lots you can do with trying to, you know, further these you know, further the research, further the startups, further the policy that supports the startups. And I've kind of gotten, I got a little touch of uh, policy with volunteer work with the Open Air Collective and with taking this climate law class with uh, Professor Gerard, who's this great, great figure in the field. I, I have to say, it's really impressive to hear your longevity in this field that's basically is just cropped up overnight from most people's perspective. I know that Klaus Lochner's uh, first report on it was what, 91? And it was a great report. If you haven't read it, listeners, you'll want to jump into that immediately. But to hear you say that your education academically goes back to 2017 in carbon management is pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. And that's part of why you're one of my amazing heroes. I, I I can't get over the front row seat I've had where I've been able to see these the these skilled and um, intelligent people jump in to save the world on such a large scale. And you're a perfect example of okay. that amazing background. There are many ways that you impress me. And obviously, the listener is still reeling from the different backgrounds and the names that you could uh, say that you studied under that's pretty impressive right there let's let's take a moment out to be impressed by susan right now oh. <laughs> there's a reason why she was my second choice here i mean i i my podcast is very new but i consider susan to be one of the leaders in the field but she's not always in the front um shouting about no, um, I'm a great person <laughs> yeah but she's also no i mean i and i have to say you know, I second what you're saying about all these amazing, intelligent people. I mean, just open air has a lot of people who just want to make a difference in there. They come from all different backgrounds, but really smart and fitting this into their lives one oh, way or another. Absolutely. Um, and then I was at the Carbon Unbound conference in New York recently, and there were, you know, it was this great gathering of all of the, you know all the different startups and players in the in the sector and there was such a feeling that i got from most of the people of 
we're in this together we're all trying to do something good together and we're not you know we may be competitors from a business perspective and investing perspective but ultimately we want to see each other succeed mm -hmm. um and, and i think that's one of the things i talked a lot about with my groups yeah. is that it's pretty impressive that in this particular field everybody is not in competition with each other I haven't met anybody who is competing with somebody else thinking, I need to do better than that. I feel everybody is holding hands and trying to run through the finish line, which is a future we all want to live in together. And that's yeah. pretty impressive. It's, it's, it's in the nonprofit world, I've experienced all kinds of competition that I never expected. I guess what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to encourage anybody who's listening. You obviously have an interest already in carbon dioxide removal or greenhouse gas removal please consider the idea of jumping in and helping get a job here be a part of it we're trying to make the world better tomorrow and this is not a competitive place it's a supportive place in just about every way and that's another reason why susan's here i've watched over and over again um, as she has supported other people's efforts in uh, the most wholehearted and incredibly um, impassioned way so uh, that's Thank an important you. thing to bring up. And I love the idea that open air has single-handedly pushed the entire industry forward in the direction we all want it to go in. Could you spend a little bit of time explaining to our listeners what open air is? And I highly recommend, if you're listening, Google it right now. And when we're done with this conversation, read everything you can about it and join. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, and that's how we cross paths, right, Terry, on, mm -hmm. on open air. So, yeah, yeah I, I guess this might, I'll tell a little story about it. I got involved in open air kind of through, there's another group called Air Miners, which is also excellent. Amazing, they, yes. <laughs> um, they have an online community. And just, I guess, to echo what you were saying, Jason Grillo, who's yes. Air Miners. Thank you. He's also involved in open air and, you know, he, I believe it was him or it was Toby Bryce. From, we were talking at this Carbon Unbound thing and they're saying, you know, we have to have sort of permeable communities where it's welcoming mm -hmm. for people to join mm -hmm. and supportive of helping getting them ramped up. And both air miners and, and open air are like that. And um, yeah. so what happened there was I was on air miners and one of the co-founders who I guess is now at B0. I, I was asking a guess about low carbon concrete because I had stumbled upon it in one of my classes as a solution um, that I was really interested in. And somebody on, and so this guy on, on uh, Air Miners said, hey, you should check out Open Air. They've just introduced a bill in New York. And <laughs> So That's I went on there <laughs> and I, I contacted Chris Nidal, who's one of their co-founders who runs their policy efforts. Mm -hmm. And he was so supportive. It was just oh, he's amazing. And, he's another hero. And so uh, you know, he encouraged me to contact um one of my local assemblymen and he agreed to sponsor the bill and we just kind of took the new york bill and it became the new jersey bill and um chris helped me get going with you know with some resources for setting up an advocacy group and we got air open air volunteers and drew in other volunteers from the community and it just 
it just snowballed and we got New Jersey League of Conservation Voters involved in NRDC and Chris had these contacts at NRDC and you know he's great with his contacts but anyway it just ballooned and and it was kind of still that same feeling of everybody wants to do something good and move this forward even the polit you know the politicians even the people you know the industry folks who had concerns about the bill still wanted to work with us to modify it so that it would meet their needs because i i really feel like you know the for the most part the questioning of climate change is over and people yes. are how can great point we, how can we yeah. do something positive here yeah you know and be part of the solution rather than be pointed to as part of the problem so that i mean Absolutely. the concrete and cement industry doesn't want to have this terrible reputation as being responsible for huge emissions they want to address it but it has to be a practical solution um you know so kind of beautifully put beautifully put i mean that's the other thing that i get excited about is there's just it's need to be i've been involved in politics for decades and um and quite often it's it's just divisive and what's beautiful about being involved in this sphere is that it's inclusive and I have been dumbfounded by the Republicans I've spoken with or, yeah. or people that do not necessarily hold environment up as their right. key pinnacle. Yeah, I mean, the, um, just to interject there, you know, this bill. So I had never been involved in advocating for a bill before ever. And so this was totally new to me. And, you know, there was some contention, you know, and it took a long time. But ultimately, we got... I think we got a unanimous vote in favor in the New Jersey Senate. So that all That's the beautiful. Republicans oh my gosh, were so in proud. favor. And then I didn't realize it was then, unanimous. That's yeah. amazing. And then in the assembly, there were like four four Republicans who voted against it. But it was it was this huge bipartisan success. And not and I didn't expect that at all. But it sort of gives me hope that you know we can reach bipartisan solutions you know, moving forward, you know, we're starting to see that with the Crest Act nationally, though, maybe that's not as ambitious as we would like, but, but I think it is possible to bring everybody along. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I've been, uh, I'm glad you brought up Chris Nidal. He's an amazing person who is like a powerhouse. If you've ever had any contact with this fellow, he's uh, yeah. always at every meeting <laughs> He's and he's just tireless. He never loses his I've never seen the man who I've never seen him come to any meeting. And I've been in at least a hundred meetings with this guy. I've never seen him come tired. Uh, well, you know, I think <laughs> it's amazing. You know, it just speaks to, you know, his energy level, but also his passion. I mean, it just, yeah. and that's, mm -hmm. I started off in tech and mm -hmm. at various stages, you know, I was trying to find, like, I loved being a manager, but I didn't, I didn't um, find purpose. Like what I'm kind of like, what is the impact of what I'm doing? Do I value the impact I'm having? Why am I here? What am I passionate about? And it wasn't until I hit climate where I really found my passion. And I think that that, you know, and, and clearly Chris has, you know, staked his life basically on working yeah. on this. Absolutely. That's that was Chris Nidal again that she's talking about. Yeah, Chris Nidal um, of Open Air. Go ahead. Yeah, just the, the passion and, mm -hmm. you know, it's, 
it's not just a job, you know. No, it's not. And it, it it's it, it's for all of us, um, there is a fear for the future that is somehow placated by being involved with yeah. solutions. And and one of the people that uh, I mean, I'm in it for my grandkids. They're the most amazing people in the world to me. There is no one who is more interesting or amazing than my grandkids to me. Yeah. And um, 2030 for them will be the prime of their lives. That's that's why 2030 and 2050, I just, all these things are really an important time. It's not some um, some future that's far off and uh, abstract. This is real. Right. And um, one of the things I like about Chris is that you can see his kids in the background. <laughs> he's got a life <laughs> and yeah. he still squeezes time out for this uh, important work. And and you're one of those people you've you've just been on. Every, I spent a lot of time reading what happened on open air. It's, it's a setup where it's on discord so you can listen to conversations without actually being in the conversation. <laughs> And I haven't had a lot of time to spare. And even though I love open air and I wish I was more um, deeply entrenched in its meetings. And um, that's one of the things that gets to me is it's it's this world is set up so that if you're just dabbling, dabble. It's great. Welcome. If you're uh, um, interested in a job, there are many tech people right now that are looking for work. My daughter works at a tech, uh, tech company and she's been keeping me posted on how many layoffs are constantly occurring. Mm. We need people who um, are interested in this. And it doesn't matter right. if you're old. I, my partner in this business is is uh, somebody who is 15 years older than me, and I'm a grandma. That tells you something right there. I'm 60. So um, it's it doesn't have any age limits or exclusions. This yeah. is open to all. Well, so and I, the remote friendly nature of it as well like mm -hmm. all of these online communities everybody's remote and you can just reach more people and and it doesn't have to be a full-time thing it's as you yeah you can just spend a couple hours a week find the time absolutely um, absolutely and yeah, be really and important <laughs> to all of us we'll need you if you just devote a couple of hours a week you can actually have a huge impact and that's yeah that's incredible. Um, and you don't cause... have to, and you don't have to be going to Columbia. I mean, it's great if you go and get some training, and it, but you don't have to do that. And there's so many job openings out there, and they're not saying, "Oh, we're looking for a master's of carbon management." Nobody, nobody says has that because yeah. nobody has that. <laughs> nobody. Um, so, yeah. but they're, you know, they're kind of looking for, you know, people with sort of standard corporate roles who want to move into climate. You know, mm -hmm. finance people, PR yeah. people communications people, community engagement, um, mm -hmm. policy people, um, you know, and it's great if you have some experience in climate, but I think there's the demand yes. is more than the supply and it's a good right. time to get in and learn something new and people get that. They just want um, to. I'm going to cut in here and do a shameless plug for my morning <laughs> shorts. Um, World Dora, the um, organization that put on this podcast, um, also has 60 second shorts. So if you're interested in understanding more, honestly, you can listen to a few weeks of morning shorts and be more caught up than you realize, because those are just the daily news headlines. They're 60 seconds each. Everybody has a minute to devote to, toward um, keeping up on what's happening in the uh the climate sphere 
And that's what this is focused on. It, it's a 60 second short. We have a set right now that is hosted by me. I do 60 second shorts on climate news, your scoop and CDR. And CDR, if you're not sure, is carbon dioxide removal. And then we also have one for um, Philip. Uh, Philip does Philip's carbon market news in the mornings. But if you want to be involved in conversations, open air has conversations. There are many places to be involved in conversations. And everything that Susan just pointed to is correct. We know that this is not a place where you you need to have a degree in carbon management, even though she's probably closer than anybody else in the world on getting one. Um, the fact is, there are no people who have that. It's, it's a very scant few. I envision a future very... Um, very uh, near where Susan will be the one teaching the courses because we need people up on this stuff. And she is one of the leaders in the field. To me, she is one of the top leaders in the field. And um, I'd like to point out that she talked about being involved academically where she learned about this, but you don't have to understand all of this. You just have to understand a few key words to really be a part of the movement being involved in advocacy is as simple as calling your congressman and supporting an, an effort. And if you go to open air, they'll tell you which efforts are going on in your state or your country. I know I have international listeners. Let's recognize the fact that there are countrywide movements going on all around the world. We know of, of efforts in Africa. We know of plenty of efforts in uh, Europe. And I think this is this is ballooning just, just to use a term that you used it's ballooning beyond control. It's an amazing thing. So can you tell us a bit more about the advocacy? Because I uh, loved something Chris Nidal said about how if you have five really passionate people in one state, you can yeah. get something going. And I consider you to have uh, accomplished that same fact. Yeah. Um, I was, like I said, this was my first real policy project. And it we had a small group of, I think about five people. And it was, I was kind of organizing it or facilitating it, but we had um, another open air member, uh, Sean Moen, who was, was really critical because he had some great connections and sort of a business finance perspective we could parlay into, you know, how do we uh, describe this so that Republicans are interested kind of thing. But we also had a, a lobbyist involved, which I didn't expect, and I wasn't sure how it was going to go, but he was really helpful. And it turned out that like the sponsors, especially our, our Senate sponsor, Senator Greenstein, really got along well with him, I think, just because he was cut to the chase, knows the players, trying to help her get the bill passed, very focused. Um, and, you know, um, and so I had a really positive experience with this lobbyist that was um, from a low carbon concrete company, you know, wow. hired by them. But, but what you were saying is, is true, like just reaching out, like the representatives valued hearing from their constituents about something that mattered to them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some were more open than others, like my, my representatives were very staunch Republicans. And so I didn't really get anywhere with them. But, you know, the folks on the environment committees um, were key people to reach. And then 
folks who had a good record um, with the League of Conservation Voters were good people to reach. And it was, you know, really, you could send an email and, you know, say, hey, can we meet to, to uh, talk about this bill? And some of the some of the representatives would say, you know, I know your sponsor. I really value what they do and I'm going to sign on as a co-sponsor. And it wasn't that hard. It, and, and we had, you know, we assigned the different people in the group, you know, can you reach out to this organization, see if you can get them on our sponsor memo. And so we had like 20 different organizations on this support memo. And it's amazing. And it, it was really just like, okay, well, what, you know, can you cold call this person who we think would be interested in co-sponsoring? And they did it and we got yeah. results. Not everything was a yes, but more than I expected. And it wasn't like pulling teeth. Um, and it was just amazing, you know, that, like you said, a small group of people could make such a difference. I think um, it's a small group of people educating you know, lawmakers and others who actually were looking for causes that could help. And it's a neat one because this particular subject matter, CDR, or whether we're talking about director capture, or whether we're talking about natural solutions, if we're talking about grazing land and farm bill work, yeah. all of this has a huge impact. And it's uh, it's an amazing uh, thing to jump into because it's it's not something people are against. I have run across, I've been at uh, I go to protests regularly. I like to show up at things like that. And um, I was uh, excited to be at a protest uh, the Thursday before last, I think it was, uh, one of those um, uh, efforts to just bring attention to climate. And I was in downtown Seattle for it. And I was surprised at an amazing person. She was brilliant, vivacious, full of energy. And um, she was under the impression that there are no solutions that are being acted upon for climate change. And I thought, oh, my goodness, we are missing some of our best and brightest. They are not aware of the fact that we're actually plodding along pretty quickly at this point on solutions. They're, they're coming out of different quarters, too. They're not necessarily just going to um, it, it doesn't belong in a Democratic or Republican category, but frankly, yeah. Republican states are making out like bandits um, because the um, oh, yeah, actions yeah. that have been passed, like the, the IRA yes, I love the IRA. I could I could live all day talking about the Inflation Reduction <laughs> Act. <laughs> it's like such exciting stuff, but it's uh, going to communities that are practical for it, and quite often they're in Republican places, and mm -hmm. I think that that's why this is a tipping point. It's not it's not a divisive issue. I think everybody wants to see something done. <laughs> yeah, I think that people are starting to realize that there are a lot of business opportunities mm -hmm. in like when you start taking climate seriously and having to solve climate seriously, it's going to cost something. And where's that money going to go and, and what businesses are going to benefit? So I think when it becomes a business solution, you have a different perspective mm -hmm. than when it's a you know government has to fund everything kind of solution um and that actually that played into our our new jersey bill I and mean, we um we had to change it from a bidding preference for low carbon concrete 
to a tax incentive. And oh, that nice. is how we got the Republicans on board and mm -hmm. industry or, you know, the contractors on board was because there that's an approach that, you know, is sort of consistent with Republican values of let's let's lower the tax burden. Um, mm -hmm. So anyway, I, yeah, I'm, I'm all, excited you got it passed. Yeah, <laughs> that's so wonderful. Uh, it just took a long time. <laughs> it was it two and a half years. But um, but this is a long, you know, that's the other thing is that that I try to keep in my mind, you know, this is a long, this is a marathon. I know mm -hmm. it's an emergency, but we can't like be in emergency mode until 2050 as individuals. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're going to burn ourselves out. So let's, right, right. you know, let's be smart about how we work and um, have long term commitments to do, to uh, addressing it. So I'd love to ask you um, your thoughts on the technologies, because um, being an active member of open air means that all of us are exposed to the technologies and the natural solutions that are right at the forefront. Do you have any thoughts about what you've seen there? Um, yes. Well, so the natural solutions, I was kind of partial to natural solutions early on. Mm -hmm. I, I had you know, when I got out of tech and I started working, I work part-time as a sustainability coordinator at our local community college. Mm -hmm. And I was taking biology and ecology and environmental science classes there. And so I was all about, you know, reforestation and blue carbon, you know, storing carbon, you know, in, in ecosystems along the coasts. And thinking, oh, you know, that's all good stuff let's do that and you know in one of my classes with um peter eisenberger i studied reforestation and another student studied afforestation which is planting you know in new areas that didn't traditionally have forests and the numbers just didn't add up it just mm. it's not enough right and yeah, so you. i'm like okay i'm so grateful you brought that up because if you're um, new to this, because this is only the second podcast, maybe there will be people that are new to the entire idea. But um, oftentimes in the regular CDR world, we all talk about the facts and figures, and that's what you're about to lead into. So I just want to <laughs> highlight what you're saying. If you're listening, listen harder. Go oh, ahead. Go yeah, ahead. and I don't have like numbers at the tip of my tongue, or but, you know, I guess depending on who you talk to, we need gigaton scale solutions and maybe we need 10 gigatons by 2050 or, you know, it depends on who you talk to. And, um, but, you know, we're looking for gigatons and maybe reforestation would give us a couple of gigatons at most, mm -hmm. but we need more. So, um, you know, that's direct air capture, trying to scale that. Geologic sequestration has plenty of capacity um, for storing everything we need to store. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm really focused on storage and mineralization in particular, but storage. And that's mm -hmm. a bottleneck right now um, with permitting through uh, the federal government through the EPA. So I was mm -hmm. looking at that. Um, could you describe a little bit more for the listeners who might not know, why is mineralization important? Because they oh. might not understand even what that is. Let's, let's so, dive in there. Um, 
So mineralization, by mineralization, I just mean turning the CO2 into a mineral or a rock. So once you do that, it's going to stay as a rock unless that rock for some reason gets heated up to, I think it's got to be over 600 degrees or something Celsius. And um, so it's, it's durable. So I'm looking for things that are durable, that are going to keep that CO2 out of the air for over a thousand years, right? Um, if you're doing direct air capture and you're turning that CO2 into a fuel that's going to be burned, that CO2 is going to go back into the air. So it's better than burning fossil fuels and adding more CO2 than would have normally been there. But I want to get it, you know, I want to draw down the CO2 that's in the air. Absolutely. I so, love the permanent um, qualities of mineralization. I mean, if you're taking that air and turning it into a rock, it's not right. going to seep through the cracks. Right. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about, you know, is there an earthquake and it's going to get released or is it going to get into, I mean, and maybe it, there's still a window before it turns into rock where there could be issues. But, um, you know, you it just appeals to me. Sort it of does. A, it it gets me excited, too. Yeah. And then you go back to the the you know forest carbon credits and all the fires we're seeing and all the mm, pests and disease we're seeing and mm. you know as much as i want to see more healthy forests and planting and so on in my you know my instinct is mm -hmm. we don't we can't guarantee we don't have time to waste who's going to stay there and so what else what else is there that's durable it's funny you say say that because um, in this conversation, I wound up with, with this brilliant person who hadn't seen any technological solutions yet. Um, she said, why can't we just plant enough trees, which is always the argument. Right, the that trillion trees. Yeah, and I always, I always feel impassioned when they say that because I agree. Heck, I wish we could have planted enough trees. That would have been amazing. But we didn't start handling the issue 60 it, years ago. Yeah, it we should have. Yeah, it and, takes um, time. Those and... trees have to grow up, you know. They they're not sequestering as much carbon when they're a twig. They sequester a lot more. So there's an opinion piece that I reported on, gosh, I think it was just last week, um, from a gentleman who paid for a million trees to be planted or a billion trees, I forget which. And he was very, it's in the New York Times. He he said, I wish I had saved old growth forests instead. They're sequestering a lot more carbon than mm -hmm. my forest that I'm on track to build. I mean, he said, I've got it all planted. I put that money into it. I paid for this and I got other people on board. And he said, I wish we had prioritized saving what we have that's mm -hmm. already sequestering large amounts of, of carbon instead of that. So yeah. it, it, the reason why Susan and I are so excited about technology for those of you who are just wondering why why we're so focused in that direction, that's the expensive part, and it needed to have gotten going decades ago. They didn't do it for whatever reason. I'm not a person who whines about the past, but we need to focus on getting as much money into that area, getting this stuff to grow. Let's nurture it like its own forest of technologies that can get us out of this mess, because one of the Amazing things about humanity is we are really good with our gadgets, and these gadgets aren't taking out a small amount of CO2 like a tree does. Klaus Lackner's tree that he designed, there's a picture of me on the internet of me grinning because I'm standing next to the only one in existence right now. 
<laughs> and that particular mechanical tree that he invented is supposed to sequester just the one tree alone sequesters a thousand trees worth of carbon that's why we're focused on technology yes and it's still i mean just like the forests need time to grow these companies need time to grow mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. we need them you know to grow and evolve and learn by doing is the Absolutely. big thing mm -hmm. um as quickly as possible you know we absolutely just let's unfortunately we have to we frittered away all our extra time yes <laughs> this is what we i like to tell the time and we have to try <laughs> everything in hopes of finding you know the things that will scale and not everything's going to scale but we have to try absolutely and i what i love is the um getting back to your advocacy work and i don't mean to be pounding on it so much but it's bang for buck we get so much more when we put a little effort toward policy because mm -hmm. we can get a lot of stuff moving in the right direction with the right amount of uh, pressure whether it's compliance if we start forcing companies to actually pay us back for the destruction of our atmosphere which is it, i'm sorry we're headed in that direction there's lawsuit after lawsuit today right now in the news montana mm -hmm. yep. has its uh, first u.s lawsuit that's made it all the way to this point um, where the youth are suing the state for not thinking this through and uh, right that's and the that's reason intense. and the reason that that is getting traction in montana in particular is because they have in their state constitution the right to a health safe and safe and healthy environment and that's a a movement i think pennsylvania has that there are a couple other states that have that but that's another movement where the people can, you know, get on the ballot a question for a constitutional amendment and mm, you get put a it. safe yeah. and healthy environment in there. And mm -hmm. then suddenly the government has responsibilities and and, you know, approving new pipelines and new fossil fuel extraction and so on you know there's there's a legal reason to question that and to push Absolutely. back against that so that's a, another great policy area um that maya van rossum has been advocating she's been the lead on that she has um her oh, i've got her flyer right here green amendments for the generations um is her organization um, um, i'm so glad you brought that up Thank you. Um, and then I know we're running out of time, but I, I could talk to you forever. So um, <laughs> I wanted to take a moment out to ha have you explain Alyssa Park oh, and who she is and tell me oh, more I'm about her. I'm a big her. fan of her. Uh, she is a, an amazing figure um, at Columbia. She's actually the first faculty member who supported my studying there. Um, mm. She chairs the uh, Earth and Environmental Engineering Department. She runs the Masters of Carbon Management program. She is the science director for Columbia's Carbon Tech Development Initiative, which I happen to be interning for this summer. Um, and she is a chemical engineer by training focused on carbon capture. She was mostly doing flue gas capture uh, when I first met her. I think she's uh, been looking at 
other things like olivine i heard mm -hmm. recently mm -hmm. um but and and she's getting her name out in a lot of publications they're really high profile in the field um so she's one of the real leaders uh, i mean we've got other folks who were established and started researching this back in the 90s like you mentioned like klaus lachner mm -hmm. and peter Kellerman yeah. and and so on but she's she's um really amazing and I think all of these people are so busy, they do so many different things, but mm -hmm. they, they still make time, uh, at least for the students, they make time to support them, which, which I've really appreciated. Mm -hmm. But Well, yeah. I'd like to thank Elisa, uh, Alyssa Park, excuse me, for encouraging you, because <laughs> Susan has, through her efforts, not only impacted state law, but she has been personally, I believe, involved in um, removing carbon just by the mere fact that she has many conversations about this. And she, uh, if we look at how much, Susan, you have done in supporting um, carbon dioxide removal in general, I completely see a day where people will be not just grateful for Chris Nidal and others who have been putting <laughs> so much into this, but names like yours will be mentioned because this has had an impact. These conversations are important. And I'd like to also take a moment out to point out that, yes, there are women involved in <laughs> carbon yeah. dioxide removal. We have the Jennifers in charge of the DOE and um, and uh, Jennifer I'm Wilcox like is amazing. Uh, yes, she wrote the books, so to speak, and was involved in writing the book. Well, yeah, the CDR primer, your, your <laughs> you. listeners you should bring check that up. That. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I highly recommend if you're um, dabbling in an interest or if you've already been into this for a couple of years, really look at what women have done in the field and recognize that even though when I look at the statistics, apparently there are very few of us apparently we are actually involved and we are moving things forward. And I do think that uh, that it's important to point that out once in a while, because quite often I feel that women in general are being embraced, but not in large enough numbers as speakers. So if you're somebody who's setting up a CDR conference, please think of inviting a female speaker, at least on every panel. Thank you. Go ahead, Susan. I, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, I, I was just thinking of all the women who I do know in the field and, mm -hmm. um, you know, Frontier and Carbon 180. Yes. And, yeah, Carbon 180. Yay. Let's take a moment out to talk about that. that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, they, um, uh, Sasha Stanwick just uh, started working there. She used to be at NRDC. I worked with her at on uh, the uh, concrete bill. And mm -hmm. no, I, I've, I feel like, you know, and maybe when you get to, I was going to say that maybe there are fewer CEOs, but there's like Claire Nelson is CTO of Chella. Thank you for pointing um, that out. That's a mineralization uh, company. They're, they're working with folks in Kenya to store CO2 in basalt, which would mineralize there. I mean, that, and uh, there's Grace Andrews at Vesta who's their chief mm -hmm. science officer. And so I, you know, I feel like it's, we're in good shape. We can, you know, it's something, yes. uh, 
Thank I you think for people that up. are generally more conscientious than when I was in tech, you know, way back yeah. when. And I think, you know, women's roles and supporting women is part of that as well. I, I feel like absolutely. It's and not I think like Chris Nidal has been a master at that. He has been, he has worked so hard and open air as a team has worked so hard at making sure that they highlight as many women as possible. I believe open air, open air excuse me, uh, they have a weekly program that I highly recommend if you're looking for something to increase your resume and at least build up your knowledge in this field. Um, but the very second program he had was with an amazing uh, a speaker who um, was a woman. And I was excited to see her because quite often I'm not recognizing that young women are, are pursuing carbon management. It's not one of those things that we we get a lot of visuals of. So I really appreciate that uh, you're bringing this up. There are already a lot of us in here. And if you're a woman watching this, feel like you'd be welcomed. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Um, I, uh, I have to take a moment out to once again, repeat that your accomplishments are many and I've, I've adored you and been so impressed with your actions. And um, sometimes you're such a, a mellow person, quietly <laughs> plodding along. And then sometimes you're leading, but you're always so filled with amazing humility. I mean, you command a room and you deserve it because you're the, you're the person who really does understand the directions we're going in. So I want to say once again, how deeply appreciative I was uh, for an opportunity to have an hour of your time. Well, thank you. It was thank great to, to chat. And um, I just feel like I'm getting, I'm just getting started. I'm hoping that, you know, I, I'm focused on having impact. And mm -hmm. okay, so the, I, this one bill hopefully will have impact, but um, I hope that, you know, I've got a good 15 years coming up before I retire Absolutely. to, uh, to uh, make a, make a real difference. Um, yes. Well, so, as somebody who's 60, I'm, uh, I'm planning on plugging along for a lot longer because I think this is yeah. something I could remote work has made life so accessible uh, when it comes yep. to. Yeah. And that's my ultimate there. goal is to find, I really want to be working for a CDR company that's pulling down carbon and it's probably going to have to be remote. Unfortunately, there are a lot of remote friendly companies out there. So. Yeah, this is a field that does embrace uh, remote work, I've noticed. There's a lot of physical stuff you can be involved in, but I have noticed that this is also a place where um, remote employees are welcome. So I yeah. love the way you phrase that. Thanks again for having so much time for me today and, and so much wisdom to share. I really appreciated hearing your perspective. Maybe in, a, in the future, I'll have you on again if we have an opportunity. Thanks again. All right. Thanks, Terry. Bye. Bye. Here are conversations in GGR. We are grateful to have heard about this episode's focus on solutions to climate change. I am also grateful to have heard from this guest. If you were as pleased to hear this perspective as I was, please consider tuning in for another episode of Conversations in GGR, available wherever you get your podcasts.